Okay, there we go. We are now live. <clears throat> so for those of you who are joining us for the first time, the way this typically works is Jeff and I, we say our spiel, uh, share our thoughts, and while you are, are waiting, you can raise your hand and hop into the queue, and once we get done with our little bit, then we will take uh, questions, comments from the audience. And we'll go through all of our VIP subscribers first and then see how much time is left there. So, Jeff, what is what was your initial gut reaction from the show last or from not from the show from the game last night? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lot like what it was last year when BYU, you know, eked out, I guess is the word, a win against UTSA. Like it wasn't pretty. Nobody's gonna, you know, write home and talk about how dominating BYU was last night, but but winning in college football is hard, and I, I I don't think that that gets the credit that it deserves. Like it's hard to win football games, even games that you're favored against. And you look through the top twenty-five uh, this weekend, and there were a lot of upsets. There were a lot of teams like there's there's no reason that Oklahoma should have struggled like they did against West Virginia, right? Like there's no reason that, uh, I mean, Clemson should have Clemson, Clemson yeah. with the talent that they have and how DJ you look last year against Notre Dame and Boston college. Like what, yeah, what it, has happened to the tigers? And, and they got beat in, in double overtime, but they got beat really before, right? Like they, they trailed that game for most of the game. They were kind of lucky to be in overtime at all. Uh, Arkansas, like Arkansas has more talent than, you know, the, the general team does that's out there. They're still an SEC school, but when it comes to how they stack up against Texas A&M, that game shouldn't be close. And, and they took Texas A&M to the woodshed. Like winning in college football is extremely difficult to do. That's why with all the great teams, you know, Alabama every year and Georgia's a great team every year, all these teams... They, they drop a game or two along the way almost every year because winning in college football is extremely difficult. And, and for BYU to struggle the way that they did, especially defensively, like there, there's, no, there's no denying that there were struggles. There's no denying that BYU didn't play well. But when you can win and you're not at your best, that's when you know that, that you've got a, a pretty good team right there. That, I, I go back to my all the years that I've been a Braves fan. Uh, in the 90s, Greg Maddox talks, talked about a lot that anybody can pitch when you have your best stuff. But what makes a great pitcher is when you can win ball games when you don't have your best stuff. And I think that same thing applies for football. And that, that was my first thought as I watched everything last night is, hey, look, BYU is not playing well, but that game was never out of reach. That game, like, yes, good thing that USF and not ASU, but that game was never out of reach, and BYU didn't have their best stuff, their best best players, and they still won comfortably. That's good. That that's good. That's the sign of a good team. Now they gotta they gotta figure out their stuff. Right, and I think you know a lot of people say, and I see comments like, oh, you know, like a good team should blow off bad teams, and every single week, and obviously the lots do happen. Like you said, other times you'll see people say, like, oh, good teams, good teams win, great teams cover. I think good teams win, but great teams win their clunkers. Like, if you're, if anyone, you listen to the solid verbal, uh, they, I guess they probably like your clunker ugly game. But I mean, when, you know, Clemson going to the national title game, and they lost a pit and lost to Syracuse, right? And those weren't good teams. In 2015, when Houston went to the Peach Bowl and laid the smackdown on Florida State, they lost to UConn. 
like how the heck does that happen right and so it's those winning those clunkers in a single game doesn't really mean anything like we it's we need to look at the first three games of the season as well as game four and not isolate game four but then also if you do look at game four you can see okay well maybe they were looking ahead we've got two rivalry games the next two weeks we just had an emotionally exhausting first three weeks of the season there's a lot of guys who are banged up like we've been told that if we were playing utah last night tyler batty and nice probably would have played jaron hall probably would have suited up and tried to make a go of it but you know there's a calculated risk of we are twos and threes can beat usf and there's also i mean timmy mclean was a bit of an unknown we talked about him on the show earlier and you know on our pregame show that he you know we didn't know what to expect from him and if you look through the most interesting thing when i looked through and i posted um on uh, like a thread or in the byu football channel i don't remember the screenshot of the pff grades that this was the highest graded performance on both sides of the ball and obviously offensively we totally understand the offense was incredible last night and i we can talk more about the tight ends and if you have a complaint about the lack of catches by the tight ends i don't care we just scored at will and averaged 12 yards a catch i don't care and i don't think anybody cares that it wasn't you know anyone on the team cares that it wasn't down holker and isaac rex doing it it was you know it doesn't matter like you win as a team and what was working was working so that's great but defensively it's not like we were we didn't give up any big place and if you look at you know we were i've seen people complain about the scheme right like it's guys were in position to make plays that's a coach's job if someone's in a position to make a play your scheme worked now whether you miss a tackle or you take a bad angle, but you were close enough, like and you were fast enough, like where you should have been able to do it. You know, those are coaching things, and those are things that players obviously need to prove on. But those are execution. That's not. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. So Garrett, I think I... the game plan was fine, and even if you look at, I was just saying, even if you look at it too, it's similar, almost to how like the Western Kentucky game last year, where and I think Joe Wheat brought this up. Um, you know where he said you know he suggested earlier in the week that he felt like this was going to be like that game and it kind of was it's that nine minute drive like they took the majority of the fourth quarter and they needed two scores like they didn't give up a single big play even throughout the game only averaged three and a half yards a carry they didn't they only averaged like seven yards of reception which is great and they just milked their way down the field which is annoying to watch and frustrating to watch and we had a ton of chances to get off the field and obviously you could tell game show that he was frustrated about that but at the same time, that their win probability, if you look at ESPN, like towards the middle of that drive, they start it went from like ninety nine percent up to like ninety six percent because it was like, oh, they're moving. If they get a score, they'll have a chance to get another possession, and maybe they score again, whatever. But then they took so much time that after they scored their touchdown, BYU's win probability was higher than when USF started that drive. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just kind of a funny game. I mean, it really was. Um, I, I, I thought there was an interest, and, and maybe I'm making something out of nothing here, but Kalani talked about um, about the team and how they were, you know, they got to get into the film room, start looking at Utah State. He talked about this in his press conference. And one thing that he said that I thought was really kind of fascinating that I, I like I say, maybe I'm making something out of nothing here. But as he was talking about Utah State, he said, yeah, a lot of our guys, because Utah State kicked off early in the morning, 
when our guys were just sitting in the hotel room, a lot of our guys had a chance to watch Utah State play, and they watched that game. I, and I wonder how often that happens. Like, how often uh, do, do players have a chance to watch every snap of their next week opponent, who happens to be a rival? Or next two weeks. Just, uh, well, that, yeah, the next couple of opponents. While they're just sitting there in their hotel room waiting to play USF. Like yeah, that, that, it felt a little weird, and and it has always kind of felt like a game that BYU could potentially look ahead a little bit, and watching USU play on TV while you're just hanging out doing nothing doesn't seem like that's gonna you know do anything to help you not look ahead, right? Or am I making yeah. something out of nothing? No, I think that's definitely a thing. I know I listened to the post game show last night, and Riley Nelson and Mitchell Jurgens both talked about that, and like with those eight o'clock starts where it was like. You know, where they tried to plan, like, black out the hotel room and try to sleep. They'll go up and have their walkthrough, and they, you know, go try to take a nap. They'll, you know, they have everything very paced out, but there is a block in the middle of the day where, you know, you think as a fan, you're like, oh, you need to be watching field and all this prep. But it's like, if you start your game prep, like, mentally too early for an 8, 8.30 kick, you'll be exhausted. And, like, mentally, you will not be focused. And so there is a rhyme and a reason, and so that's kind of what they do is just relax enjoy another game like go like play some video games like do something and start to work yourself to get into the zone and going through like your last film session whatever you know they might start that at like four o'clock or three o'clock you know around their last meal that they're going to eat before kickoff and whatnot but they you know you're not sitting there grinding all day you know hyper focused and so and that was something that riley said he was like they would he would try to find future opponents and he didn't mention like you know if it's the next week but i think you know, if they were watching, like, the USC game, I mean, the USC played at night, right? But if they were watching, like, Georgia Southern or USC, you know, some of those wazoo, some of those later games in the season, um, they that might be more of a, less of a distraction because you know it's still far away. But I think, you know, watching who the two teams that you're going to be playing next week and the week after when it's a rivalry matchup on both of those, you know, it's, you know, right. the battle for the wagon wheel in Utah State. And I think Boise should be like the battle for the bronze casserole dish or something. Or maybe the battle for Ogden. Whoever loses has to annex Ogden into their state. I like Ogden. And I don't, I don't want to be part of Idaho. Uh, I, I also don't think Timmy McLean is being given enough credit by, by Oh, no. He like, was great. That dude was that dude was slippery, man. Like he was good. He was fast. And he was uh, patient. USF, and he was. And part of that was, I think the game was moving really fast, but uh, he was really good. And, and and just to kind of put into perspective how close it really was. Like if, if Timmy McLean is even maybe Jaden Daniels, that was just one step slower. Like McLean looked a little bit quicker than, than Daniels was. He was a hell of an athlete. Um, but just to put into perspective how close BYU was and, and how consistently they were in the right spot, uh, BYU gave, or USF rather, gave up 12 quarterback pressures, meaning, right, that like quarterback is under dress. They only got one sack. And on the runs that McLean had, he forced four missed tackles by himself. McLean. He, that, so that's 15, just right there. That is 15 out of 16 plays that BYU had a chance or almost, right, got to McLean, and they only got to him actually once, right? Like, he, he right. forced a bunch of ta- missed tackles, and he was constantly evading pressure. 
Sometimes you just got to tip your cap. Like that kid is going to be a really good quarterback down the right. road. And and it's it, it, that's something that BYU has to give him credit for. And I know it's Definitely. easy to always look at the negative and to always look at what you did wrong. But sometimes, man, yeah, the, the guy, there wasn't a lot of film on him. You can only watch so much high school film to know exactly how slippery he's going to be. And you do your best to prepare. And BYU did well. The game plan was good. They they were constantly in the right spot. But you tip your cap. McLean made really good plays, and he, he made it really tough on the defense. If BYU had another week now with the benefit of four solid quarters uh, worth of film on McLean, I think that they play it a little bit differently than they did. But under the circumstances, I think the BYU did a really good job of getting into the right spot. Now they just have to capitalize and finish. And And... In the emotion of the game, and when you're watching those big, long drives go, it's hard to have that perspective. It's frustrating. But I think as you get out of the emotion of the game, you know that the win is there. You know, BYU moved up in the rankings, and now you go back and you watch it again. It's a little bit easier to see just how good McLean really was. Yeah, and it's not, and that's part of, you know, I've seen a lot, I've talked to some people, and like just kind of flabbergasted of, you know, how PFF was rated them. And so the way PFF ratings work is they have like, three i think it's three it is they have multiple analysts watch every play and they watch them multiple times like across the offensive line they will watch every play five times and have like three people grading each of the five positions on how they did and if they did their job and how well they did their job and then they average that and there's there's like a formula of how they convert those grades into you know whatever i think it's like they do like a, a zero one two or three is like how good you can do on any given play and they however they tally that up but the reason, like, it's not every time something quote unquote bad happens is necessarily because you made a mistake. Like, sometimes a guy's just a better athlete and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? And so it's like, if you, like, even, you know, as a corner, right, if you are doing everything perfect, but the guy is just a half step faster than you and he jumps up and makes an incredible catch, right? Then that, or is a great throw, like, I, then it's, um, you know, that's just sometimes like that's what happens. I know I think of the last two weeks where it was a little tighter against ASU, if I'm remembering right, like Gunner Gun Romney had two diving catches. That wasn't terrible coverage. It was almost like kind of a not a great thrown ball because he had to lay out for it. But the quarterback just put the ball where only his guy could get it and the guy dove and got it. That doesn't have anything to do with how tightly, you know, if that was a you know, a half an inch, you know, further back when it gets thrown a half a step further back like there's a chance at a pass breakup right and so that doesn't have anything even though you gave up a reception that doesn't necessarily mean it was bad coverage right sometimes guys just make plays and timmy mcclain just made a lot of plays but i was extremely impressed with him and i think the coverage on the back end of the defense was very good like he had time like he was on the move he was looking downfield but he wasn't finding guys open but he was still very patient he didn't force any balls he which i think is the biggest thing of why i think he's going to be a star and will do well for jeff scott and the usf bulls is i mean he was just he was patient and he didn't he didn't make any mistakes he took what was given to him and didn't panic even in a very loud environment you know and it was a a tough thing it, they're not used to that 8 p.m kick you know going across the country all those weird things for him i was very very impressed and i think i would tune into usf games just to watch and see how timmy mcclain does in the future that's how good he was yeah considering he's a true freshman i agree i think he's got a really Really bright future. Um, beyond that, the injuries are going to be a big role. They're going to play a big role this week, I think. 
Um, it, it was interesting to listen to Kalani talk about the injuries. That that it, I can't help but wonder, and, and, and you have to almost say this delicately, but are are our guys just a little bit soft? Because it doesn't sound like any of these injuries are like crazy over the top serious, right? Like Batty could have played, Mahe could have played, Jaron could have played. Hayes missed time, came back. Powell and Puka missed time, came back. They, they, it makes it sound like Harris the Chance is, is going to come back. And, and, and without knowing any context of the severity of these injuries whatsoever, because there's no real information on injuries, if we take what the, curse, the, what the coaches are saying at face value, it feels, it feels weird to me that there are so many guys who are getting hurt but are going to be back the next week or maybe miss a game, but they were game time decisions. Like these injuries don't feel like injuries. These injuries feel like guys are hurt. And uh, it's a funny balance, I guess, of playing through pain and playing when you're hurt because you're the best guy out there. And 90% of Chaz IU is better than a hundred percent of Ammon Hanneman. Uh, It's a, it's a weird balance, but it just kind of feels like, Maybe BYU, and maybe it's because it was USF. I'm anxious to see what happens uh, this week against Utah State. But it just feels like BYU, whether it's the medical staff, the coaching staff, or just the players themselves, I don't know. It feels like they're being ultra cautious with all of these, all of these, uh, the, these injuries and the way that they're sitting out. It's very strange to me. Yeah, and I don't know if... That's a function of just they say, hey, we have the depth, so we don't need to risk it because we trust what's behind it now. Or if it's saying, hey, we got like, we got USU next week, we got Boise the week after that, we got Baylor the week after that, we got Wazoo the week after that, and then we got Virginia the week after that before we have a break. And, you know, you're looking at that and thinking, oh, like that's, you know, that's five more games or whatever it is. Um, is there even a bind there? Or did I say that right? Is no, that first? You- you yeah, the buy right. is after first, the the buy is after Virginia, right? Yeah, and so it's first, first five first more games. Buy is after ten games, and so maybe you're right, and maybe that's what it is. Is they viewed USF as an opportunity to to get healthy, treat it like an FCS game, and we talked about that during our show last week. That hey, if you're if you're playing under this mindset that it's okay to rest guys because it's just USF, you're setting yourselves up for a dogfight, and maybe that's all that this was. But it, it does feel a little bit weird, and, and, and Surfa, you just mentioned it in, in the VIP channel, that uh, you had the same thought that I did, listening to Kalani run through all of these injuries. It, it, he felt annoyed, right? Like, he felt annoyed by it when he said, yeah, there's a lot of guys who are hurt, but everybody's going to be okay. And then he reluctantly went through the injury report that he could remember off the top of his head. It just feels weird. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was just, hey, USF's not very good. <laughs> We're gonna run Caden Haas and John Nelson. Uh, they played. They each played triple the number of snaps that they played the week before. Like they played big reps. John Nelson played twenty snaps, twenty-two some odd snaps. He has never played more than like seven. Like that's a that's a big jump for a, a, a freshman who was lightly recruited getting his first game action. Um, maybe that was the plan. That hey, this is USF is not much better than than Weber State would be. So let's treat it like that. If that and, was the plan, I'm not surprised at all by the the dogfight in the second quarter or in the second half because yeah, that mindset you're setting yourself up to look ahead to Utah State, right? And it's 
and that is also you know it is a tricky balance too because those are the kind of games where you do have to like depth doesn't grow on a tree right like you have to you can practice you can do it but it's once you get into the speed of the game like practice is never as fast as a game when the adrenaline is running and Mm -hmm. so it's it's getting into the getting into that game and getting those game reps like that will prove to be invaluable later in the season and so as a coaching staff i think that's an extremely extremely hard thing to do a balance of you can't mail it in but also we're planning on clearing the bench this game because we know we need to build that depth and so it's really hard and and it's frustrating to watch and it's really hard to you know kind of peace out but it, yeah you definitely could tell in the post game presser um columbia you could hear he was annoyed like he was not and his voice was hoarse and he was yelling at people like he was not happy with how things were played out and so obviously there's a lot of things to clean up and so that's kind of you know some of the game stories sometimes they can be a blessing in disguise right like you got out of your clunker with a w that's all that matters we moved up in the rankings we can't control what happens in the rankings we're just going to do our thing take care of business and you know, if guys were a little sulking in the locker room and kind of like looking around, like, dude, we almost blew that one. Like, we got to fo- tighten it up. And you have that refocusing time after the emotional letdown heading into USU and heading into Boise. And then, you know, that can be a huge, you know, it can be long term, it can be a huge advantage, right? If you, and everything is like, if you capitalize on it, right? Like, you have to capitalize on it and kind of use that. And this is where, you know, the leadership of the team will step up. Yeah. I mean, that's the hope. That is the hope. Um, overall, I, I mean, I think that covers the most of my thoughts. Baylor played great. Uh, play Baylor's Baylor's so interesting to me, man, because he, he doesn't have like elite size. He doesn't have, I mean, he, he proves me wrong. He doesn't have like elite arm strength, but then he goes out and makes great throws every game. Uh, if you listened to, you know, listen to us at all throughout the off season and throughout training camp, we told you that like there was no quarterback competition. Like anybody who was there knew that it was Jaron Hall. He was the best in practice, which leads you to believe. Although that, in spring or before spring, you and I both said we thought Conover. We did. We both thought Conover really early on, but and that maybe further illustrates the point that. Based off of practice and what anybody had seen, what anybody had reported on, what any you know rumors and sources or whatever had told us, Baylor was third, and it was kind of of a distant third that he would be there based on experience at number two in a pinch. But if it were Jaron is done for the year, it's probably going to go to Conover, and and that you have to you know draw from that that Baylor has not looked as good as Jaron or as Conover in practice, right? I mean that's that's the takeaway. But the dude's a gamer. When he gets in and the, the kickoff happens, the lights are on, the fans are in the stadium, I don't know how, I, I don't know what there is to complain about him. Like he orchestrates the offense extremely well. I, I we're getting really nitpicky. He I don't think he really goes through progressions quite like other quarterbacks do. It seems like he's a little bit more of a of a of a one, maybe two read quarterback, and he just puts the ball where it needs to be, so it goes well. You can do that in college and get away with it. Yeah, that's totally and, fine. And, and that's being super nitpicky. I mean, Zach was kind of a one or two read quarterback most of the year last year, and he looked great. Uh, Baylor's just a yeah, he's a gamer. That's all there yeah. is to it. And I don't know how to I've, describe it. He's just a gamer. I think it shows too how great we are in in terms of great hands with a rod at the helm and what he's done 
getting these quarterbacks ready to play. And shout out to Travis Turner for uh, tweeting earlier today that Thin Boy 16 filled in admirably for Stash Boy 3. Oh, man. Thick Boy. I, I have... I'm I'm not gonna make fun of Utah. They went through a lot today. Um, we, we didn't even mention the passing of Aaron Lowe. Just another senseless tragedy. It sucks. Heartbreaking. I'm gonna give Utah a pass, but thick boy, thin boy, sixteen is is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. And so I think yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We've obviously seen what uh, Romney can do against both Utah State and Boise State in the past, and what the staff can do in terms of the game plans. And it's not. It's not something I think to be worried about in either game if we show up and take care of business. Um, but I think kind of getting off course here before, and if you do want to get on and share your thoughts, uh, go ahead and raise your hand and kind of start filling up the queue and we'll cut over to this. But I think there's probably a very good chance that, you know, especially if Baylor starts the next game or two, that he's got enough tape that he says, okay, like I've, you know, done my time and I'm going to go find somewhere where I can start. I think. Couldn't you see Baylor just like you look at what Jake Heiner is doing at Fresno? Couldn't you see that being Baylor Romney next year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I could or, see or, or like Houston. What I don't know what's going on. What year Houston's quarterback is? I don't remember his name. Is like but going and him slinging it for Dana Holgerson down there. I I could see I, I honestly, and, and this would probably be my number one guess. Carson Strong is going to go pro out of Nevada this year. Uh, and that's where that's Baylor, where Baylor signed out of high school. And that's true, and they and, would fit in that Norvell offense. He would do well with similar what Carson Strong does. Yeah, and, and so that if if that all comes to fruition and and he does transfer, uh, that's my early my early guess as to where he ends up. Yeah, and it's um Baylor. If you do listen to this, we love you. Please stay. But it's I don't think we, when he's shown what he can do and how lucky we are to have three quarterbacks that can play at that level. I don't think anybody would fault him or blame him if he wants to go finish his eligibility elsewhere because he can show he can play with the best of them. Here's why he might stay. is I, If my math is right, I think Tate Romney gets back prior to the start of the season next year. So Tate and Gunner and Baylor could all play on the same team at the same time. Like That would mm-hmm. be pretty cool. It's a lot to and sacrifice. Then he, and then, so maybe one more year. Good. And then he yeah. could still go because I think he's still, because of COVID, I think he's only a redshirt sophomore. There we go. There we go. Um, so maybe that's the prediction. Okay, let's see. Um, huh? Okay, I, it helps if I turn on the request to speak. So you can now raise your hand and request to speak <laughs> if you want to. That's on me. I did not realize that that was turned off. Um, but it, uh, we're up to, Jeff, we got 26 people in here. And that's, uh, that's a lot. That's more than we've had, I think, any of the other games. Or, yeah, uh, any of the first three games. This is booming. One day, our Discord server is going to be as popular as Addison Ray's TikTok. Who is that? Am I supposed to know who that is? Well, if you were on TikTok, if you were a TikTok celebrity like I was, you would absolutely know who Addison Ray is. Oh, I spend too much time on TikTok, but I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> I have 200 followers now. I'm big time. You, you have been good. Your TikTok game has been good. Very, very niche. I don't know how many followers you will get because of yeah, such many. you know finding you know such a very focused you know demographic yeah, of BYU, cargo short wearing byu fans but right B, byu tiktok isn't quite a thing like byu twitter is at this no point. unfortunately um 
Uh, while we wait, I mean, if anybody wants to comment, jump in. Uh, we, we're going to get in-depth into uh, Utah State a little bit, but but watching Utah State play, uh, Logan Bonner doesn't scare me much. Andrew Peasley scares me a little bit. Uh, based on what we saw from BYU against USF and based on what we saw from BYU against ASU, uh, that mobile quarterback, BYU struggled a little bit. And that, that I don't think that that's unfair to say. Because that's something, even dating back to Kalani at uh, Utah as a defensive coordinator, his defenses have always struggled containing mobile quarterbacks. And, and that's it isn't always defense. rush yards. That, and that's not a Kalani problem. That's a defensive problem. It just sucks. That's why they it, call it, him a it, dual threat. It, it isn't so much that he gives up hundreds and hundreds of rushing yards to these mobile quarterbacks, but a, their their defense is designed to either play Great coverage until your three or four down linemen get there, or you send well-timed blitzes and you get home quickly. But that mobile quarterback that just extends plays and extends plays, eventually coverage breaks down. Uh, Andrew Peasley scares me a little bit. I, I I don't know that he can throw as well, certainly not as well as Jaden Daniels. I don't think he throws as well as Timmy McLean, but he's just as mobile as either one of those two, and eventually coverage breaks down. So this this could be a really big week uh hopefully keenan ellis is able to make it back isaiah heron hopefully he's able to make it back uh the the, the secondary is going to be tested i think and, and they're going to be tested they're gonna have to cover guys quick utah state very stereotypical utah state receivers quick fast shifty wide receivers for an extended amount of time that could be a challenge and that could be a challenge, but at the same time, I think offensively we'll see a per- similar performance, especially rushing the ball, just given the size of their front seven. Um, yeah. So I think it, it may be play out to be a very similar game. Um, let's get uh, Braden Days in here. Let's see here. Braden's in. There you go. Braden, hey, what, did you, what did you think? What do you want to share with share with the world? So mine's kind of more of a philosophical, um, just football philosophy. I've just been kind of thinking about, we talk about the most important thing is, you know, not giving up points. And also on offense, we talk about the most important thing is, you know, scoring. But last night, as we scored so fast, I started thinking, you know what, like, it kind of hurt the defense in that situation that we were scoring so fast. And also, I think, I mean, I think we've all talked about how one thing we don't like about Kuyaki's defenses is they take such long drives. So from a philosophical standpoint, is it really the most important just to keep points off the board? Or is there something more to that in you guys' opinions? I think it's, there's something more to it because it's nothing happens in a vacuum, right? It's like you want to keep points off the board, but also I, if it takes nine minutes off the clock when you're up two scores, giving up some points at the end of that isn't the end of the world. Obviously, it's frustrating. You would rather have force a three and out, but you know it is what it is. But then at the same time, too, offensively, you don't want to sit for too long because then you're not in a rhythm. And obviously you want to score points. And if the deep ball is open and you're, you know, dropping 50 yard bombs, you take what's there. But that also puts your, you know, that's why a lot of times when you see explosive offenses, a lot of times you see shootouts and it's not necessarily because their defense is bad. It's just their defense is gassed because, you know, if your offense is scoring in five plays, then you don't really get a break, especially when you have a lot of the defenders every time you know they score and then your defenders are going out and are going to be on the kickoff kick coverage team. And then going out and playing, you know, so you end up, it is nothing happens in a vacuum. Like there's definitely some give and take. And I don't know that there's like necessarily a perfect formula for like an optimum balance between offense and yeah. defense. 
in time in playing the clock in your tempo, but the tempo pairings of what your offensive coordinator likes to do and what your defensive coordinator likes to do and whether those tempos mesh, you know, and that's part of why we see the annoying, like the hockey line changes is because of like, we kind of, you know, if those aren't meshing and it's, you have to, guys are getting tired, you know, it's ultimately, you're just trying to score more points than the other team, but there's a lot of factors and a lot of different things that happen. And it's kind of staff by staff. You have to figure out like, what are the strengths of the players you have? What can you do? What do you want to do? You know, what is your conditioning like? And, you know, all those, you know, are you playing in a different environment at a different elevation and things like is really hot and humid and guys are cramping like we saw in Vegas. And, you know, all those different things all are factors into finding a game tempo that works for both sides of the ball. And it's not, you know, it's not the offense and the defense separately. It's definitely, it's like, how are the three of them playing together and then how is your special teams like what is your punt game like and you know how are you flipping the field and playing field positions like all three of those things have to be working well in unison yeah i mean i was just thinking one of the things i thought is how lucky we've been this year that because we've been leading i think the philosophy is of just making sure they don't score it totally works but when you're when you're trailing and we, we saw this last year with coastal carolina of when when you're behind it's really not – I mean, yes, you don't want them to score, but if they're taking nine minutes off the clock and you can't come back, then that's really right. – it's really harmful for your for the game. Right, so. and especially in a game flow like that where the offense was really struggling and so them sitting on the sideline the entire time didn't help. But at the same – you know, yeah. but at the same time, it's you can't blame that on the defense because if you're the offense, yeah. like, you got to go out and, like, yeah. you, you got to do better, right? And so it's yeah. – it definitely is a give and take. Um, that, that was a really good question. I don't know, Jeff, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, just game script. I think game script dictates a lot of it. The level of play changes things. Like at the high school ranks, uh, yeah, just score. Just keep scoring and keep them out of the end zone, and you're probably going to win most of your games. Uh, at the NFL, like the whole uh, the, the, the field position game matters way more than it does in, in high school, right? Like that extra 10 yards that you might get on a on a – I don't know, by, by punting from the 50-yard line instead of taking a, a field goal or whatever, matters a lot more in the NFL than it does in high school. And, and college, it, it, it's kind of the same idea. Game script depends on so much, the level of play, the caliber of talent that you're, you're playing against. Uh, and BYU has proven that they just want to win. Like, and that sounds so simple. Everybody, of course, just wants to win. But they, they are capable and content winning multiple different ways and if it is okay we're going to give you uh, it's one of those things that what are you going to robert sala talked about this a lot when he was the defensive coordinator at, at san francisco uh that he would consistently constantly say um it's about what are you going to take away right like nobody can defend everything so as a defensive coordinator, you have to take away something, and you are content to take away something. And if the team is going to take whatever you give them, then okay, what are you giving them? And BYU has proven that, hey, when they're up by multiple scores in the second half, they are totally content giving away those five- and six-yard gains and making teams bleed the clock. You watch them. They, they guard the sidelines. They, they try to make the clock run. They they aren't giving up 10, 12 yards a pop that the chains are stopping or moving and stopping the clock between every play. They're totally content to give the offense a drive that might lead up or might end up in points, 
but it's going to bleed the clock, and that's what they are willing to give up, and they are willing to take away the big play that's going to allow teams to catch up quickly. And uh, it's annoying, it's frustrating, nobody enjoys watching it, but we've seen enough of it from BYU that it sure feels like they're totally content doing that. And it shows too that you know lots of that they expect the offense to go out and do well, even it's against a rested defense, right? You have a rested offense, rested defense coming back out after that long drive, but the expectation is we are BYU, we will have a good offense, we will move the chains when and how we want to, and so that's um, and so you know that's kind of you know like you said the expectation and really going back to you know from analytically, if you're up 15 points, you're saying okay, just to tie this game. Well, we're probably going to get a shot back because they're probably not going to get an onside kick. Like just point blank, it's I don't even know. It's like what, like five or ten percent of onside kicks actually get recovered. Okay, so you can basically count on recovering that. And then last night was like the ugliest kick ever. But then there's you could say you need 15 points. I mean, you need a touchdown, a touchdown, a touchdown. Well, you took so much time that you need the onside kick because you don't have any timeouts left. And so you know maybe you know. And so it's like if they had three timeouts. They probably would have kicked the ball deep, and you then know, we could have bled I, the clock either way. If it was like you know, if it was like eight minutes left, and they had three timeouts, that changes things. When you're like, you have no timeouts and five minutes left, you're like you know, you're stuck real bad. You you have to get this onside kick, and maybe you could you could force it and then try to get it back. But even then, you look at USF from their coach's decision. They say we have not been able to get anything deep all night. If we, and we have not stopped them. If we kick this deep, we may not get it back. And if we do get it back, it may be with a minute and a half left. And we can't do this in a minute and a half. That's not going to work against this defense and what we are able to do tonight. And so I, I, it's. I say this with as much respect as I possibly can to the coaching staff. Uh, I have a really, really strong hunch that they're not breaking down the analytics like that. I mean, I hope so. But you know, that's me. Um. <laughs> So we do have uh, Josh Bears here. Let's get Josh in. See, uh, what should be adding him in. I clicked the I, button. I I agree with you, Garrett. That all of those analytics should come there in. There we go. Right? There we go. Okay, Josh. What what did you think about last night? Yeah, um, I just wanted to take the time to express my gratitude for Brother Aaron Roderick and the life that he's injected into our offense. If you think about the 2010 to about 2017 era of BYU football, we really didn't get a lot of good, consistent quarterback play, right? You know, it was so rare to see a 50-yard bomb that would actually get completed, you know, to a receiver in stride. And last night, you know, we had a backup quarterback that threw three 50-yard bombs that were in stride to receivers for big gains. And, I, I mean, it just... It's so cool to watch, um, you know, just considering like where BYU was, you know, historically they were able to do that. And then recently they hadn't been able to. And now, I mean, that element of BYU's back and it makes it a really fun product to watch. And, um, you know, I, I and, and the fact that it's a second string quarterback that's able to do it. And the first stringer is also capable of doing it. Like that's it should be very exciting, very encouraging um, as far as the upside of this team, because I've always said that. If you can throw the deep ball and you have receivers that can take, you know, can, can, can get open over the top, you're, you know, you have a really high ceiling as a team. So I still think this team has a high ceiling. Obviously, the, the health can be a bit of a concern, but I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic moving forward. I think, uh, I think these guys have a lot of fight in them. And, 
you know, just looking for them to to get better and to to put up a put up a good game against the Aggies on Friday. Yeah, man, completely agree that uh Aaron Roderick, like bless him. We are are, are very lucky to have him. I, I have shared my, my complaints the last couple of games. My only complaint, my one single complaint about Aaron Roderick is I do think he gets a little he likes the pass. He's a Lavelle guy. Like he, he gets a little pass happy when the pass is working well and he kind of abandons the run a little bit. Uh but but I mean that's nitpicky. Like all things considered, A Rod is absolutely spectacular uh for BYU. His his quarterbacks are always prepared, whether it was Zach, uh, whether it was Jaron, whether it's Baylor, his quarterbacks are always ready to go, always productive. Um, and he's the kind of guy too. Now that BYU's headed into the Big Twelve, and you know, conceivably the money is coming, and they can afford to compete for uh, high-level coordinators. I don't know that Arod wants to be a head coach. Like he seems like the kind of guy, and, and based on some of the things that that I've heard over the years, that he's content being a coordinator forever. And if he can be our Brent, our offensive Brent Venables. I will. I will never complain about that. Right, and, and whether it's a career thing, like is he going to be at BYU calling the plays for the next thirty years? Probably not. But if they can get. A Rod for five, six, seven years, like that. That's a pretty long tenure for a a high level offensive coordinator, and yeah, just huge. I mean, absolutely huge. Um, anxious to see what he does on the recruiting trail. There's already been some, we'll call it skepticism of some of his evaluations of late. You know, a scholarship on Cade Finnegan. We'll see how that pans out. I am personally high on Finnegan. Uh, but others are not. Trayson Bourget, a, a recruit in the 2022 class, that uh, that that Arod likes him a lot, and and I like Squints a little bit more than I think a lot of fans do. But I get the I get the concern. So we'll have to see, right? Like the some of the evaluations that ultimately he's he's dealing with really talented quarterbacks, and and, and so as long as he continues to have really talented quarterbacks, of course he's going to look like a really talented quarterback coach. That's just kind of the way that it works. Some of those evaluations, I don't think Trayson Bourget, as much as I like him, he's no Zach Wilson. He's no Baylor Romney. He's no Jaron Hall. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. That's that's going to be a big part of the story for A-Rod going forward. But but in terms of what he brings on Saturdays, it's it's huge. And even then, I don't think, you know, Jaron Hall and uh, Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney coming out of high school, nobody thought that they would be Jaron Hall or Baylor Romney. You know, they thought they'd be okay. He thought, you know, Romney was a good athlete, but Nevada was his only offer. He was lightly recruited, even though he was playing at a decently sized high school in Texas where, you know, people could see what you could do and people knew who he was. And so it's, you know, it's a lot of it, you know, there's some level of development, but it's, yeah, he definitely, he definitely has the opportunity, like he needs to prove himself and maybe he does have that eye for talent um, and can see it and can find what he wants to work with and whatever that is until uh, he, I think he's definitely earned the benefit of the doubt on that front. Um, but Jeff, it has been a great show. Uh, we can go ahead and here. Um, and again, we'll have our, uh, we got a fun newsletter coming out tomorrow. We have, uh, another kind of a recap for on Wednesday going out to our VIP subscribers, and then we'll have our preview uh, for Friday morning for uh, the, for the Aggies, and uh, we'll also have our normal show on Wednesday. Uh, Jeff, what are your parting thoughts or words of wisdom for our for our loyal listeners tonight? Yeah, I know that everybody hates Utah more than they hate 
Utah State, but I don't. I hate Utah State way, way, way more than I have ever hated Utah. Like, not even in the same ballpark of levels of hate. And so this week, I, I try to I try to be pretty, I don't know what the word is, cautious? I don't know. I try to be just like a little bit of Switzerland. I don't get into the rivalry banter, but I used to, especially with Utah State. And I think it's time for me to bring it back. Once I got into the rivals and 24-7 world, I felt like I needed to be a little bit more professional. But at this point, if I get fired for insinuating that all Utah State fans are actual cows, then I get fired for insinuating that all Utah State fans are actually cows. Uh, I just really am looking forward to this game, and I hope that BYU wins by, I don't know, like 75, because I just hate Utah State. Amen. And Aggie tears are always delicious coming as they pour down in Ogden. So, yeah, Jeff, until we talk day. on Wednesday, give well, them Well, hold on. Hold on, Garrett. I'm sorry. Oh. That was a good wrap-up. I feel like I, it was great, and I really am going to throw everything off. This is probably a Wednesday show type of a thing, but here we are. I feel like we've got to just really bring the heat about Gary Anderson's Snapchat somehow. You know, I don't know what Utah State cheerleaders he was Snapchatting with throughout. I mean, maybe I'm making this up, but I, based on his track record, it feels like it's probably true. I, I just feel like we really need to hit home that not only did Gary Anderson coach at Utah State, he coached at Utah State twice. They knew who he was, and they hired him back. And it just feels like that is not being talked about enough, that even after his Oregon State debacle, Utah State still hired him back. And they deserve to lose forever because of that. And they, they hired him back, and then after they fired him, said that they did not want to hire Frank Miley because they didn't want Nelly as yeah. coach. Ugh, they're the worst. So it's, I'm, in my hatred, I've always laughed in, at Utah State. And I, even, I mean, I considered going there for a year and then transferring to BYU just because they offered me more money out the gate. But the, my hatred for the Aggies is definitely growing. So I, hope, I agree with you. I hope we give, win by 75 or at least, you know, we beat Georgia Tech's 222 to nothing win over Cumberland College. And we just give, make their lives a living hell as they get ready and go into conference weekend with lots to ponder about. Amen. Amen. So, Jeff, we will talk to you on Thursday, or not on Thursday, on Wednesday. The show will be out Thursday morning. And until then, give them hell. Give them hell.